Morning, glory, America. Bonjour, hi, Canada. It's May 15th in the year of the plague, 2020. I'm Hugh Hewitt. That music means it's time for the Hillsdale Dialogue. The last radio hour of every week on the Hugh Hewitt Show is devoted to important big issues. Some of them that go all the way back to Homer, and these dialogues began in 2013, and they've continued for seven great years. Today's guest is Matthew Spaulding, Vice President of Washington, D.C. Operations for Hillsdale College, Dean of the Van Andel Graduate School of Government. I will tell you that everything you want to know about Hillsdale is at hillsdale.edu, but if you want to follow Matt's merry band of Hillsdaleans, you go to at hillsdaleindc on Twitter. Good morning, Dean. Matt, how are you? I'm fine. I'm doing well under the circumstances. You can play me some Hamilton music. Uh, we're As going. To, are you excited <laughs> that it's coming to uh, to Disney Plus on July third? Are you one of those people? I I, I drove my family from Washington D.C. to from Virginia to Chicago to see it. That's not crazy at all, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> That's not nuts at all. I, I I was talking with Sonny Bunch last hour. This is not our main subject, but I'll just bring it up since you you prompted me, and we'll play all Hamilton music for you. Disney Plus announced they're going to air the, the the recording they did of the original cast on July 3rd, and you have to you have to subscribe to Disney Plus to be able to watch it. Are you going to subscribe to Disney Plus to be able to watch it endlessly, like my wife and daughter will? I, I don't know if I'll go that far, but I, I might be tempted. It's it's uh, it's mighty fine. I was actually I was expecting to be disappointed, but I thought it was actually quite good. Oh, I loved it. I love it. I just think it's great, and it's historically accurate. My favorite, I like King George III, but my favorite is the room where it happens. But but the room where it happens is the great deal, the great compromise that brought D.C. to the swamp, right? Would you explain to people what that was? That's right. Well, the the, the great deal was uh, Alexander Hampton was trying to get his economic plans passed, so to assume all the debts and and to – uh, kind of get the economy going, and the Republicans, uh, Madison, disagreed with this, and they were at, at odds. Uh, they had dinner, the three of them, Madison, Jefferson, and Hamilton, uh, in which they cut a famous deal, which was if you put the U.S. Capitol in Virginia, which say the South, not in not in Philadelphia where the bank was, not in New York where the financiers were, but in the South, uh, we will agree to all of your economic plans. So um, they cut a great deal behind closed doors over, I'm sure, many bottles of wine. You know, Matt Spaulding, I have said that we are at a moment not unlike that right now because phase four must happen because the states have these massive debts. And there is there is a Nancy Pelosi wing that says bail out the state. I mean, it's trillions of dollars they need. The Republicans have said one thing, tort reform one thing but they could act the the room where it happens is going to have a lot of things on the table and it has to happen right no i I think it does although i increasingly worry about these kinds of deals happening think of all the great deals uh, the compromise of 1850 the uh, compromise tariff that stopped the nullification crisis a a compromise uh, is only possible if both parties think they can get something out of it and they can come to some sort of agreement, which means they've got to have above them some higher principle that they serve, saving the union, for instance. Um, and uh, with things going on right now, I'm you know, sometimes doubtful that uh, those kinds of agreements are possible. I think it's necessary. I think we probably will have an agreement, 
Um, but I'm I, I'm wondering if somehow we are moving towards larger regime questions that prevent those types of great compromises to happen. But the, the reason Hamilton and, and Jefferson and Madison could come to agreement is they agreed on the principles of the revolution. Those were not in dispute. And since those were not in dispute, the the economic question and where to put the capital question were negotiable. That's now, Matt, I, I believe it is problem. fair to say that the number one demand of the left, of the Democrats right now, is that they must have money for states that have bankrupted themselves for a variety of reasons. And if you look at the SEIU, if you look at the employee unions, they all are going to suffer massive layoffs if the states don't get money. So the states must get money. I think that the Republicans ought to insist on, number one, the highest principle, save free enterprise. And that means right. tort reform. That means to preempt all the state common law on tort, to remove it all to one district and to make it almost impossible to sue anyone for virus. And number two, they've got to beef up our national defense in the Pacific. I mean, billions of dollars of submarines and cyber defense and uh, B-21s. I mean, they ought to shovel everything on there because those are the two things we need to save the Constitution are the, the, the free enterprise that makes it happen and the national defense that protects the free enterprise. No, I, I think that's right. I think those are the grounds for, uh, for a compromise. I think the, the real question here will be the extent to which the Democratic Party can come to that table or they're increasingly pulled by a, a radicalized wing of their party, which does not want to have those kinds of deals and wants to push further and further in the direction towards confrontation. Uh, with an administration which they consider to be illegitimate. I mean, I think the things we're, all the other things we're seeing right now uh, concerning the rule of law and, and Flynn and the judge, um, I think these all, all these things in a in a very broad sense are are connected as parts of this debate and discussion we're having right now about the the, the, the nature and the future of the American regime. They very much are. In the lead up to this, I spoke directly. I don't know if he listens. Many federal judges do. Uh, and, I, and they tell me they do. Directly to Judge Sullivan. He is endangering the rule of law. He is actually breaching not just the relationship between Article 3 and Article 2, but the due process rights upon which you, Matt Spaulding, and I, Hugh Hewitt, and everybody listening to this show depend, whether they know it or not, like the oxygen which we breathe. It, is go, it goes back to the Magna Carta that 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 you are not going to be uh, judge, jury, and prosecutor in one person. And Judge Sullivan has set himself up as a tyrant. No, look, there there are, <laughs> I was trying to determine, thinking through what, what are the different levels of what is going on here, and there are these deep violations of the rule of law. You already touched on a couple of them. One is due process, the process to which we're due. Uh, it's a legal process. Um, you know, the FBI not following their own procedures, uh, putting someone in a perjury trap. But then you have another layer, which is the separation of powers, the level of the Constitution, which right now we're seeing a conflict uh, with Judge Sullivan in which a, a judge is challenging directly the clear constitutional power of the executive to prosecute. But then beyond that, there are, I think, significant questions here about uh, regime principles having to do with the peaceful transition of power from one administration to another. But then even beyond that, I think there's, there's a real challenge going on to constitutional orders simply on behalf of, 
of, of an administrative elite that really sees itself outside of the normal parameters of the rule of law. Oh, that, and, and that's the definition of tyranny. That, that, and I want, you know, Media Matters listens to every hour of this show, and they're going to say, Hugh Hewitt called Judd Sullivan a tyrant, and they're going to use the cartoon version. I'm thinking, I've been listening to this book, Dynasty, by Tom Holland about Tiberius Caesar, when he took down Sejanus in a very legal manner. But what he basically did was he ordered the prosecution of Sejanus and the verdict before it came through. It was a it was a complete rule of one as a monarch or its corrupt version tyrant would do. And that's what we set up the republic to prevent, Matt Spaulding. No, that, that's right. I mean, the, the, the part of the scandal here is the extent to which we're seeing the weaponization of, of legal process. The, 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 you know, the great gem of, of Western civilization and the rule of law coming through English, English uh, constitution to the American constitution, this idea of the rule of law, that it's the rule of law, not the rule of men, um, that's being challenged here. It's being undermined in a, in a very clear, practical way. But in its place, which is what I really worry about, is a certain weaponization of that process. It's using the guise of, of a legal process to achieve political ends that could not be achieved at the ballot box. That's the real, uh, I think, uh, regime question being put to us, which is the same regime question I would note that Abraham Lincoln brought up in 1861. Can you replace a decision at the ballot box with something else? Then it was being replaced with bullets. Today, I think it's being replaced with a certain weaponization of the legal process. And that is deeply disturbing because it attacks directly at the regime. Matt Spaulding is my guest, dean of the Hillsdale Graduate School in D.C. I very rarely use the term constitutional crisis. I, I scoff at I mock people who do. Uh, because it's very, the Constitution is very, very strong. I have never worried about it for a second. But I, I believe we are on the precipice of a constitutional crisis. The unmasking scandal and Judge Sullivan's uh, rejection of the rule of law. We'll talk more with Dean Spaulding after the break. Stay tuned. Welcome back, America. It's Hugh Hewitt, Dean Matthew Spaulding of Hillsdale in D.C. The Manandale Graduate School is with us. Uh, Dean, tell me, are applications open for the next gathering? I, I would assume you guys will be back in the fall, socially distanced with your masks, but I'm assuming you're going to be going. No, we are. We're, we're in the applications uh, right now until like June 15th. We've actually just started our summer session, so we're teaching right now, um, not uh, we're, we're doing it uh, over over Zoom, but we will get back in the classroom the moment we can. All right. So when you come to talk to them about, I want to talk in order, and it may take us a little bit. The first big constitutional issue is the Obamagate, which I have defined, and I would like your your reflection on my definition of Obamagate as the intentional interference with the peaceful, seamless cooperation transition of power which has been the glory of the Republic with one exception, 1861, and possibly uh, the, the election deadlock of uh, 1876. But other than that, it has been the seamless transition of power has been the glory of the Republic. <clears throat> I believe this unmasking scandal is about that. What do you think, Dean Spaulding? I, I, I think you're, you're right. Let me, let me parse a couple of terms here first. I resist the phrase, um, I know it's a good phrase, Obamagate, 
Because uh, on the one hand, you know, as with many of the words we use, like the word scandal or crisis, we've diminished their meaning. A, a scandal is merely something that shocks us. Uh, this, this is something deeper, and, and this is not like Whitewater Gate or Billy Gate or whatever it might be. This, and your, your description, your definition is, is spot on. This is a much more serious thing. Let, let's put it into the, you, you mentioned especially 1861. This is the one time this has never truly happened. But think about when it did happen and why it was important. And that's the election of 1800. The first time in history, in history, where one party turned over peaceably the reins of power to another political party, to its actual uh, critics. That's a radical thing. Prior to that, and this is why this is the glory of the Western system, prior to that, the way popular attitudes were, were shown in politics, whereby, whereby overthrowing the government, chopping off their head, and using some sort of violent force, finding some other means to prevent that action from that event from happening, or overthrowing a government. Um, what the American constitutional system does is it creates an alternative way to do that. And in 1800, even though Jefferson thought it was a revolution, as did Hamilton, as did John Marshall, they did not prevent him from taking power and exercising constitutional power as president of the United States. When and Adams he, was Hamilton, defeated and Hamilton Jefferson won. When, when Adams right. was defeated and Jefferson won, they thought that was right. a break, but no one said not happening. Correct. That's right. And, that's, and, that, and Jefferson never had that in mind. Hamilton, his critics, never had that in mind. Marshall, um, you know, Adams put Marshall in the Supreme Court as they went about fighting these constitutional battles within the constitutional system, within the rule of law. But th that is so historically significant that that event set the precedent. And, but we have to remember the reason why this is a gym, it's, it's not merely a nice thing that happens. It's not merely a tradition we have. It's because free elections express the, 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 the sovereignty of the people and the sovereignty of the people. Their consent is what makes government legitimate in the first place which is to say to reverse that is to attack the very legitimacy of constitutional government. That's why this, all these activities are not merely questioning due process. They're not merely subverting the rule of law. If they are indeed questioning an election, they're actually subverting and attacking constitutional government itself. That's why this is not merely a scandal are merely a crisis. This is a regime question we are at. Uh, Matt Yutzbalding is 100% correct. I talk about the transition as the glory of the Republic, and I am not overstating that. It, it had never existed anywhere before us. We're the longest living, peaceful transition of power government. I mean, the, the glorious revolution of 1688, the decapitation of Charles, I mean, the English had their problem. We've never had that as a republic. We're the only ones. And when people screw around with that, like President Obama's team did, well, we're going to pay attention to it on the Hillsdale Dialogue. Stay tuned. Welcome back, America. It's Hugh Hewitt. We never really thought, we fans of the Federalist Papers, that a Broadway hit would involve the Federalist Papers. Dean Matthew Spaulding and I were talking earlier about Hamilton. 
But we should turn to these Federalist Papers to understand the crisis that we are in right now. And Dean Spaulding, I want to just list seven things. And I want to try and get through them in this in the next segment. First, there was a counterintelligence investigation launched against a presidential election. Second, uh, at at the conclusion of that, which had borne no fruit because there was no collusion, there was an end run by the FBI, the police, around the attorney general who did not want them to interview Flynn, but they did it anyway. Then there was a leak of classified information. Then there was the prosecution of General Flynn that was predicated on the non-disclosure of exculpatory information. Then there is Judge Sullivan declaring him treasonous. He walks that back, but it tells you state of mind. Then there is Judge Sullivan opening up a window for everyone who has an opinion on a private person's guilt, which they cannot possibly know, or judge to send in their opinions. Then Judge Sullivan appoints a counsel to represent the prosecutors who are standing in front of them. And then the media doesn't cover the story. Uh, This is an appalling sequence of events that actually would never have occurred to me, even in a seven days of May, off the charts, over the top thriller. No, I, I, I look, I, I think you're right. I think any one of these virtually uh, should bother us um, as a, a, a nation in which the rule of law and due process is, is important. Uh, we are seeing numerous cases in which an individual or a president or um, it, 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 we're, we're not. We're, we're seeing this due process being violated. This procedural things are happening. They're they're not according to established procedures. When you put it all together, however, when you look at that narrative and you see the movements, to which we can add numerous other things you, you, that are that are uh, to be added to what you had here, uh, that's when I think you see something something different going on here. And you know, at at, at one time. You know, looking at this or in, in one individual piece of it, you might think, well, these are merely uh, bad actors, uh, maybe a rogue individual who's kind of off the off the uh, radar here. But there's a pattern here that I think we, whether you're liberal or conservative, Democrat or Republican, that's the kind of thing we should be looking at, because if that pattern suggests an intention uh, that's something that should be chilling. That, that's something the ACLU should be on top of, uh, because not only does it violate our, our liberties, but in violating those liberties, it really undermines the whole constitutional system, which is meant to uphold those liberties. That's what I find to be so disturbing about this. It's, 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 on the one hand, it is those, those particular violations. Um, I mean, the, the, a, a judge... Uh, who is an Article Three cannot uh, instigate or force the prosecution of anyone. That's an Article Two power. That distinction is is it the crucial at the the within the separation of powers, and that separation of powers between the legislative, the executive, and the and the judiciary is key to the structural constitution. That's very disturbing. However, if you put all these things together and look at the steps. And look at the the way in which it seems that um, having failed to do this, they went on to this, and they went on to this, and they went on to this. That's the kind of thing that makes me, as a a, a observer from the outside, very nervous here 
and suggest there was an, an, an intention uh, uh, by certain parties, the highest level of government, very elite uh, levels of law enforcement, those who are sworn to uphold the Constitution and the rule of law, uh, including political actors, in which the, the legal process and the political process have combined, um, have come together in a way to, to change the outcome of, of an election. That, that a, a, a judge, not, 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 perhaps not intentionally, probably not intentionally, but is somehow involved in playing this game in which the legal process becomes a mechanism for achieving political outcomes, that, on top of everything else, is extremely disturbing. Let's talk for a moment about the best possible interpretation, because let's give everybody the benefit of the doubt. Liz Cheney, the uh, chairman of the Republican Conference and the rising star in the House, daughter of Vice President Cheney, very well-known former State Department official, said this week on this show that James Comey is the baddest actor, the worst actor in the Beltway over the last decade, and that he's been doing bad things for a long time. Let's assume for a moment that Jim Comey had the best of intentions. Let's assume for a moment that Andrew McCabe had the best of intentions, that everybody at the National Security Council had the best of intentions. They really believed that Michael Flynn was a Russian agent. Let's just believe that for a moment. Not, not the, the right. lower intention is that they, they knew what they were doing. They were subverting the administration. They were trying to set up their return to power in four years, cripple the administration, make them lose the 2018 election. That's the basis movement. Or, and even money, who knows, that's even Bayser. Uh, you know, better book deal, better sources, all sorts of different things. But let's give them a high motive. It would still be outrageous, Matt. It, it, that's what I want people to understand. There is, even if you give to them the highest order of good intentions, it's still outrageous. No, I, I, I think that's, that's absolutely right. I mean, the... Um, uh, this is why I think this is a, a, a regime question. I, I, I don't think it can be merely uh, written off to bad actors. As, as, as much as we know and, and dislike about uh, Director Comey or former Director Comey, um, he does not strike me as an unintelligent individual who doesn't know what he's doing, um, nor merely someone who is merely acting for very low and base purposes. The claim here all along was that all of this was being done for some high purpose, having to do with a national security question, having you know dealing with uh, Russia. This individual was a Russian agent. It's a question of national security. But having said that, if that was true and was their motivation, which seems to be that it, that it was, um, to withhold that information uh, in a moment of transition from one executive to another executive and not tell them meant that they were not informing an incoming president and someone who was president at, uh, when they were still withholding information. They were withholding information from the constitutionally ex uh, elected executive. That's what disturbs me in the sense that the, that the, the FBI, the intelligence agencies, those are with, they're withholding this information. They saw themselves and their actions above the rule of law. They did not see themselves as having an obligation to those to whom they report, including the attorney general. We always remind people the FBI is, is created by legislation within the Department of Justice, and yet they went around the Department of Justice, and 
they chose, Comey chose not to inform the president of the United States. That so, is a problem. Oh, it's a huge problem. So, so let's go for a moment to a guy I really respect, Ward Carroll. I mean, I really like this fellow. He's a, a great patriot, flew in the defense of his country at the United States Naval Institute, has just tweeted out, so the same Republicans who claim President Trump's delay in dealing with coronavirus was due to a focus on impeachment have now introduced Obamagate, another thing to take Trump's focus away from coronavirus. I, I don't think Ward and many, I mean, very fine people quite understand the gravity with which we are viewing this. Uh, and they are not con law experts, right? They're, they're political observers and they're good pundits. And they are, I certainly can't fly a plane like Ward Carroll can. But I've spent 25 years teaching the Constitution. This is exactly the greatest danger to it. People have got to understand this is the undermining of the rule of law. And, and that doesn't have a, once you cross that bank, the river overflows it, you've got nothing. Well, you've you got to think about what, what's the precedent you are setting. I mean, think about future presidents, not just you know, the Trump administration at some point uh, transitioning to somebody else, but beyond that. The, the, the question here is always, what is the precedent you are setting for the future? Um, and, and, and this is extremely disturbing. I mean, part, part, and, and I think one of the reasons why a lot of people aren't seeing this is they have, um, uh, they have a low opinion of politics. Uh, they assume this is all merely politics prior to an election. This is merely back and forth. And so they've, they've shunted. The, they're, they're not hearing this. But this should be disturbing for, on the left, on the right, Democrats, Republicans, actually anybody who is a friend of free government. The, the, the idea that, that, that um, one set of elected individuals could work with uh, other individuals within the administrative bureaucracy who are sworn to uphold the rule of law, that they can work together to, to shape an outcome different from that which is a result from the ballot box. That is an extremely dangerous thing that actually goes back to, um, that's not progress, that's regress, that's, that's undermining the whole idea of constitutional government uh, in, in, in a way that we should all be disturbed about. And this is the, where the, the, I tell my friends on the, on the, in the center, people who are never Trumpers, you take a lick and you keep on ticking, to use the old John Cameron Swayze. You lose elections sometimes. I was so bitterly disappointed in 1992 because George H.W. Bush was a fine man. I mean, just a great man, and he was managing the crisis of our era. And had he stayed in government, I do not believe Russia would be ruled by Putin the way it is today. I just don't think Bill Clinton was up. I mean, the whole peace dividend, the whole nightmare. But we lost. And I was driving down after election night from L.A. home. It was like 3 o'clock in the morning. Very sad because we'd lost. But I always tell myself, you lose about 50% of the elections in this country. Right, Matt? You don't, you no, can't it, go, it, you but, can't expect to always win. It, but the flip side is also the case in this, in this particular instance. You're dealing with somebody, take a, a, a various of our friends, which I have many, they don't like this current president. And their attitude is, it's okay because it's Trump. That's not the point. It's defending the office. It's defending the, 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 the Constitution and the structure and the, the institutions itself. If, if you can do this with Trump and you think that's okay, then you can do this against any president and 
any uh, opposition party can do this against any incoming president. And you've, at that point, you've lost the rule of law because the rule of law in the Constitution is designed to prevent the use of force to bring about outcome. And I would add, and we'll come back to, I would add, and if a defendant can be treated the way Judge Sullivan is treating Michael Flynn, any defendant in any court, federal, state, local municipality, any defendant can be treated that way. He, he is every defendant, and people have to understand that. I'll be right back with Dean Matt Spaulding. Don't go anywhere, America. Welcome back, America Chew Hewitt. Uh, Dean Matt uh, Spaulding is my guest from Hillsdale's Andale, uh, Van Andale Graduate School in Washington, D.C. We're talking about the constitutional moment we're in. Yeah, I want to close by telling you about courage and cowardice, Matt. Um, when people take up arms against the king, they are risking lives, and many of them, as that musical demonstrated, lost their lives doing that. And there, were, there wasn't a coward among them. Uh, there were some traitors, but there weren't any cowards. Uh, the, the, whoever leaked this unmasked intelligence from General Flynn, or whoever orchestrated the vast unmasking in order to hide their leaking, is a coward because they oppose Trump, but they will not do so openly. And so I, I think that those, that's an important observation that this kind of subversion of the rule of law is often accompanied by a character defect so vast, it's easy to overlook, because it's like a glacier of cowardice. Uh, that's a great point, and I think you're absolutely right. The, the, uh, uh, but, but also consider the extent to which that, that character flaw you've observed, that cowardice, also goes hand-in-hand hand with the, the very notion of operating outside of the rule of law. That is, these things are part and parcel of the other. And there's a certain authoritarian edge to this as well. That is, there's, there's an enforcement uh, mechanism here. That is, the, way the, 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 um, uh, the courageous way to do this I think the way the, the founders intended it, uh, by, uh, by establishing the successful transition of governments. The way Lincoln spoke of it in 1861, which is the only thing you can replace, uh, uh, if you disagree, you can't replace ballots with bullets. You can only replace it with uh, ballots themselves at succeeding elections. Right? That's the, the greatest way to do it in the context of constitutional government is actually through the process of constitutional government. The, 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 uh, uh, the weak and the cowardice, uh, cowardly way to do it is to try to find other ways to do it through the, the dark corners and subverting things and leaking things. Um, that distinction is, is historically the way it's occurred many times in the past. There is a very honorable way, by the way, to do the opposite, which is what Martin Luther King did in the Birmingham jail. It's what That's protesters right. have done right. forever, which is to disobey the law and accept the consequences thereby to illustrate the injustice. But we see no coward stepping forward to say, I gave it to David Ignatius. It was me. Try me. No one has done that. They're all cowards. Well, the, the fact that there were so many requests to unmask that, that, that name in a very short period of time, suggests to me that there was either a lot of interest or they wanted to make so much confusion that we could never figure this it's out. It's the latter. It, it There's a spider. Back to some sort of uh, uh, collusion here on, on, on their part. But, uh, again, that's, that's, that's really part and parcel of going outside of, 
of, of the whole mechanism. Here, here's an example of courage. Uh, speaking historically, what we didn't know about the election of 1800 is the election of 1800 went into the House and Jefferson and Burr were tied. And there had to be a decision about who was going to be the president in Hamilton. Jefferson's arch enemy at that point openly sided with Jefferson because he trusted his character despite massive political disagreements. There's an example of your opposite. That, that's interesting. It's, a, it's something to reflect on because it is the opposite of, of the sniveling little coward who shot somebody in the back. I mean, it's just there is a spider's web of deceit here. And it's just inimical to free government. And the never Trumpers are so blinded by their hatred. I do not suggest that every number of Trumpers involved in it, but they are blind to it because they hate Trump so much. Last word to you, uh, Matt Spalding. Uh, no, I, I think that's right. And, and but, but I think the question will be whether the, the, the American people, and it's their legitimacy that's, be, that's being questioned here, will have a reaction to get this. Here's another historical parallel to think about. Um, Andrew Jackson, who I don't completely support in all cases, but in some cases very much do to see what he is representing, that populist move. He's elected in 1828 overwhelmingly because in 1824 there was a perception of this so-called corrupt bargain between Quincy Adams and Henry Clay, which pales in comparison till today. Uh, that was merely a political deal. The question will be whether the American people see this for what it is. That potentially could have great political effect in in starting a, a, a realigning, a rethinking of this country about the nature of how we govern ourselves, what, it, what its legitimate source of legitimacy is, against, I think, this deeper elite opinion, which seems to be wanting to act outside of the rule of law in order to circumvent their legitimacy and their free elections. And that, to I keep their question. power, to keep their privilege. It is, it is so obviously a power play. Matt Spaulding, Dean of the Van Andale Graduate School of Hillsdale College in the heart of Washington, D.C. Follow him on Twitter at Hillsdale in D.C. Enjoy. You can still get your application in for the fall. It is a graduate program unlike any other in statesmanship at Hillsdale in D.C. Thank you, Dean Spaulding. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, Generalissimo. Thank you, Mrs. Generalissimo. Great news on the uh, answer scan for Dwayne this week. So we have things to be thankful for. Remember our friends at Angel Tree. Uh, remember those kids whose mom or dad are in prison and go to HughHewitt.com and contribute to the Angel Tree Camping Fellowship. Thank you. I'll be back on Monday.